should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever. Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the most exciting day in America. It could be exciting or it could be frightening. It could be the I last think, day in America. It could be the last day in America. I think, you know, for the Christians who've been waiting for some <laughs> apocalypse or, the you know, for Je the, you know Jesus coming or not coming, I think today is it here in America. <laughs> November 8th. 2016. Um, it's Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and here in studio with us is our favorite, favorite co-host, our one and only John Zipper <laughs> of the Commonwealth Club. John, thanks so much for being here with thanks me. Thanks for having me. It's always a joy. So did you wake up excited? Did you wake up nervous? What was it like for you? Um, I have, of course, been following the polls and, you know, refreshing Nate Silver, <laughs> you know, on the minute. And the polls seem to be going well for uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, certainly nervous about the Senate, so yeah. it's going to be a an interesting day. I think we'll probably, I think we'll probably learn the results in the presidency fairly early in the evening, but uh, a lot of the other stuff's going to drag on into the night. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Um, you know, there are. I guess I should say there was once upon a time in in my young short life, or not so young. I don't know these days. Millennials <laughs> would would argue with me. You're not that young, but. Um, <laughs> But uh, but you know, in which like I woke up with my head a little bit taller, my shoulders a little bit more back, and, and uh, a lot more confident. And and that time was when marriage equality passed, and I felt you know a little bit more equal in mm -hmm. the country. And and for me, this is the second time that I feel a lot more confident, but this time as a woman. So it's very interesting that, you know, I got that feeling as a gay woman before I got that feeling as an actual, you know, or, uh, identifying as a as a female here in this country. Um, and I say that, you know, I, I'm, I didn't post this publicly, and it's funny because I will say it on the radio show, which happens to be much more public than my Facebook page. But, uh, you know, secretly, Hillary Clinton being our uh, presidential candidate, having... Yeah, I, I think, you know, America is confident that she will be our next president. Uh, that means so much for a lot of people, and regardless of how you feel about her, and I'm setting the, the issues that I have with her aside, this is so big for so many people here in this country, especially women. Yes, and by the way, if it turns out that Donald Trump wins, we're going to go back and edit this episode for the podcast. And we're, we're just gonna, <laughs> We foresaw this whole thing. Um, we'll be doing that for my new Canadian bunker. <laughs> Donald who? <laughs> I ever, you know, I've already thought of a million things that could happen to him, even if he wins the presidency. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, I shouldn't say things like that. 
He'll be the first person, first president to be impeached before he actually takes office. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, our, our guest today, I think, is very fitting, very perfect for today. So I'm very excited. Uh, let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. I giggle when I say that because I'm sure of it that my next guest has a lot of something to say about that. But, you know, it is who pays the bills. Um, so so we could we could change that maybe, you know, in the future. Um, Our next guest is actually speaking at the Center for Bioethics and Culture. Um, She's doing a public conversation. She's a journalist, author, human rights campaigner against sexual abuse of women, and uh, currently speaking out against the commercialization of, uh, I guess we could say, you know, pregnancy and or uh, ways of getting or methods of pregnancy, which is why... Uh, I'm sure of it. We're going to have a conversation about who my sponsors are. Uh, she's a co-founder of Justice for Women. Let's go ahead and welcome Julie Bindle to the program. Julie, thanks so much for being in studio with us. It's my absolute pleasure. And also, it's it's so good that you're actually having this conversation despite the fact um, of who your sponsors are. And I think that uh, you know other radio show hosts should have as much integrity as you do. Yeah, oh, thank you, thank you. I you know that's that would probably be the reason why. I'm going bankrupt and built this studio thing, and you know, I'm, not, I'm I, yeah, I've been there, done that in '08 when uh, you know I was working out of Clear Channel, which is now iHeartMedia, um, and 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 at that point it was about LGBT rights, and I was just like, you know, I have some years to go to burn that I that I don't want to be a sellout. So if this thing doesn't work out, then bagging groceries is completely fine to me. But you're the guest today, and uh, most importantly, so let's talk about women's rights as it stands today. I, I had just mentioned that uh, you know your current work is focusing on the commercialization of of women and their reproductive rights and their health. Yes, and I think that before even we look at the commercialization of surrogacy and and other forms of, of reproduction, we should look at the normalization of surrogacy, because as a uh, an abolitionist. Um, I wish to see an end to surrogacy per se. Now, the poster girl of um, surrogacy is, of course, a white, reasonably well-off, certainly not poor, happy, smiling, altruistic surrogate who carries a baby for a relative or a loved one or simply out of the goodness of her heart. Now, she is the same poster girl as, in a way, the happy hooker, the woman who is in prostitution, who says that she's very happy, fulfilled, even liberated by this. And she is what we call, those of us that wish to abolish the sex trade, uh, she's the 1%, right? These women do exist. They're a tiny minority. They tend to speak for the majority. Now, with surrogacy, the altruistic surrogate, so the one who really does exist, she's a tiny minority. I would still argue that there are negative effects. She is therefore hailed by the profiteers, by those that run this global industry, this horrendous capitalist industry based on uh, the exploitation of women's bodies. She's used by them in order to make more profits because, of course, the real deal about surrogacy is that this is a desperate industry. This is an industry where those who are being sold or whose wombs are being rented or eggs are being bought, they are really doing this because there's no other choice. And and who is making the money on the, in this? I assume, I mean, is she walking away with the bulk of, I mean, people pay tens of thousands of dollars for this, right? Or does it go to the doctors or the people who arrange it all? Where, where does it end up? 
those that make the vast majority of the money are the clinicians, the doctors, those that run the the broker industry side of this. So, for example, in the UK, where I'm from, commercial surrogacy is illegal. Uh, and so there are brokers who will say they advertise themselves as the British Surrogacy Centre. And people will go to them um, more often than not gay men uh, because it's seen as a right. But we'll get onto that later, I'm sure. And they say, OK, so it's illegal in this country. How do I find a surrogate, an egg donor, etc.? And they will then refer them to a clinic in California. If they have enough money to spend in California, if they choose to spend less, then it may be to a developing country. Um, so they're making money. Certainly the women are paid, but sometimes they're not paid anywhere near what they're promised. Often they're being pimped into being surrogates by their boyfriends, their partners, their husbands, or organised criminals. Why wouldn't that happen? It happens with every other commodity, commodification of women's bodies. We know this. Um, or they're signed up to a contract that is broken. Or, I mean, remember, she can't afford the legal advice, the legal representation that the commissioning parents do. So often she is left um, having to have selective abortion, have terrible health uh, effects and consequences, no medical bills paid. She may have long-term psychological effects that she has to meet the bill for. So, yeah, I mean, there's money to be made, just like there is if you work in a brothel. But the story, if you dig deeper, is is far less positive than is presented. So let me play devil's advocate, because actually I I have a part of this argument where I think we're very much on the same side. But would there be a way of arranging the surrogacy, maybe that's not a commercial way, that you would support? Or is it the, I think you mentioned earlier, surrogacy as, it's, as a, in itself is something you, you object to? I think that's a really good question because, of course, we have to acknowledge there are less bad scenarios. There are cases, again, the poster girls um, that we heard about earlier that the industry puts forward as the representative model, where surrogacy goes better for the women than it does for other women. But I'm, I'm an abolitionist because, despite that 1% that may well have a happy outcome, may have made enough money may have been legally protected, may not have any terrible health or psychological effects. Mm -hmm. I think that the issue for me politically, as a feminist and as a human rights campaigner, is that there is no right to a child. There is no right to a child whether you're, an in, whether you're a single person, whether you're a gay couple, whether you're a lesbian, whether you're a heterosexual person. I believe in absolute equality about this issue. Now, the reason why I say there's no right to have your own biological child created in your own image is because that's just the way it goes. There are many people who can't get pregnant for various reasons. There are also enough children and babies that are abandoned, unwanted, left in children's homes, sleeping rough. And therefore, I think we should have a conversation about why some women go absolutely crazy if they can't have their own child. And we should also have a conversation about why gay men increasingly are demanding the kind of, in inverted commas, rights that heterosexual people have, despite their being an exploited person at the other end of it. This is what some people call competing rights. What I call it is a human rights violation by a group that actually doesn't have that right. Uh, wow, this is a very interesting conversation, considering um, you know my own thoughts and my own views about uh, the LGBTQ community growing our family. And as we, uh, you know, 
start living in a chapter of post-marriage equality, this is one of the things that we're being much more vocal about is producing our own families. Um, I want to go back to a word that you used, uh, which is, you know, the normalization of surrogacy or, or just kind of how we've come to rationalize the decision to do so um, by talking about rights. Because uh, especially with the LGBTQ community, that's that's what it's come down to. We argue you know, what our rights are um, and, and how's that, how that applies. So when you talk about like organized pimping, for example, and there are some criminal characteristics of how this process um, can actually happen, would you say that perhaps we need more of a uh, reform on this entire process if it, is, if it does actually end up benefiting, say, for example, you know, queer families who, who do want to have families yes absolutely and, and and gay couples single people people that live in communes or live alternative lifestyles of course they may want families they have the you know perfect capacity to raise families I think I would stick my neck out and say that um, many children that I personally know I'm 54 so many babies born to um, to my friends when we were in our 30s you know are now having their own children many of those children are better adjusted than they are than they would have been growing up in heterosexual families that are violent, that split up, where the man is abusive, etc. But, you know, my friend Denise, who who died last year, she was a great feminist campaigner. She she really wanted a baby. She was in her late 20s and she worked with a gay man in a, a, an LGBT rights organisation. And they decided to have a baby together with that old fashioned method, the AID, artificial um, insemination by donor. Now, there are conversations that we could have about that. But the point is that these two people wanted a child. They raised him together. He was three days with his mom, three days with his dad. And that went on until he was of age. And he's a well-adjusted young man. I also know many, many lesbians and even a couple of gay men recently, uh, since the laws have changed and society's attitudes have changed, who've adopted and fostered. And they're important families. And we should cherish and we should we should really congratulate those families for existing. So I don't think surrogacy is the way to go because it can only exist if women's bodies are seen as commodities and it will only be normalised amongst particularly rich gay men if they themselves believe that their rights supersede the rights of poor, desperate women. And how did we get to that stage where mainly white, rich, gay men think they have a right to rent the womb of a poor woman. Oh man, that they're telling me to go to break, and I had a follow up question. That I don't want to go to break. It's my show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love you. Well, you just well, lost your advertiser, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I think that you know uh, uh, those who do talk about this and have ethical concerns would oftentimes agree that the exploitation of women's bodies, um, you know, especially from foreign countries. And uh, my family's from Thailand. And just recently, you know, Thailand had passed a law that uh, does not allow, you know, for people to go and basically rent wombs, um, you know, for, for growing their families. I, I think that there are several reasons why someone would want to consider surrogacy. Not uh, all the time is it is it you know, because of the exploitation factor. But I do think the exploitation factor has weighed heavily on a lot of people and has popularized, you know, this method of growing our families that it really has 
become negative for those who, who, who need the service for other reasons. And it could be health complications for some women um, and, and, and so on. Or do you think that I'm, I'm just kind of being naive about this? No, I don't. And I'd like to talk about California a little bit, because although, you know, I have been to Gujarat, the capital of surrogacy in India, and India, of course, was the capital uh, of surrogacy in the world, you know, you can then present the women as extremely poor, illiterate. They can't even read the contracts, let alone sign them. Their human rights are violated in a way that even kind of, you know, people who are fairly ignorant about human rights would accept. But I really want to talk about California because it's, you know, a wealthy state and, you, you know, you have effectively human rights for, you know, for some, not all. And it's also, you know, a state that is seen as liberal and well-meaning and tolerant. And yet this is the surrogacy capital of the world, actually. And the reason why I think it's important to look at surrogacy and the women who are um, being used in this way in California is because that's a much more tricky point to get across to people because they present as reasonably well-off you know, women who are white, who are pretty much enfranchised, who can be seen to make a choice. And often they're, they're the ones that are presented to the rest of the world as the altruistic, happy surrogate, so the poster girl. I take your point about medical necessity, about the heartbreak that people can endure if they're trying for a baby in whatever their circumstances, whether a lesbian couple or whatever, and it doesn't happen that way. But actually, again, I return to the point, we don't have a right to actually have our own biological child or a child that we create like some kind of designer baby by choosing the egg. And by the way, it's not egg donation, it's it's egg selling, it's egg trafficking. And we, we do use that all the time, egg donation. They're not donated, they're bought. Um, and that's a whole other issue. But we actually really should be putting money into looking at the psychological effects uh, for women or for those who are childless and who want to have babies and why it seems to send people so crazy and off the rails and suicidal and the pressure on women to reproduce rather than to raise children in alternative ways because gay men renting a womb to have their own child that's not an alternative way at all you're actually growing a child in a womb it's not alternative it's not kind of how can I put this? It's not progressive. It's different because it's not as normal as the kind of normalized as the traditional heterosexual way to produce babies. But it's certainly not progressive. And I think we do we do confuse those two words, alternative and progressive. Well, as a community, we should actually be progressive because we've had our own rights um, completely trampled upon. For centuries. Mm -hmm. And we're only just at that stage now where we have legal rights. But it doesn't give us the right as lesbians and gay people to trample on the rights of those less fortunate than us. Very fascinating conversation happening here on the Michelle Miao Show on the day of Election Day in which I believe we're going to elect a woman to become president of the United States. And we're talking about uh, women's rights and violence against women's bodies. Um, we're going to take a quick break now. Uh, after Julie finished her thought. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with human rights activist Julie Bindle.
You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Happy November 8th. Happy Election Day. I know, you know, a lot of people have already sent in their votes um, and uh, some of you are standing in lines excited to cast your vote. That's what I'm doing this year. I I, I do want to go in there and I want to fill in the it's not a bubble. It's a it's a line. It's a line. Right, John? Yeah, you complete (laughs) an arrow. (laughs) That's right. Complete the arrow. Some people are already uh, posting on their Facebook page that um, some places have run out of black markers, and uh, I don't know how that happens. How do you how do you run out of markers? Maybe you have a lot of time, and I mean a lot of people, big long lines, and they didn't bring enough. I want to do a shout out to my mother who is uh, running a polling place in Green Bay, awesome. Wisconsin. So she is going to be. She said she would be there from like six in the morning till eleven at night. Wow! So if, if you're in Wisconsin, be nice to my mom, <laughs> or she'll turn this car around and go home. <laughs> That's so awesome. No, she's gonna do awesome. Well, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, before the break, we were having an in-depth conversation with Julie Bindle, who's a human rights activist, and we're talking about the com- commercialization of surrogacy. Um, and uh, I know here on the program, I've I've talked very openly about. Uh, being accepting and approving of of various ways that LGBTQ couples want to grow their families. But I appreciate this conversation that we're having with Julie because uh, I think, you know, when when, dif- when people have different points of views, you always learn something. Um, and uh, I'm finding, you know, that it, it, that would be why someone would describe, Julie, your position on, on this as radical, that um, that it's it's, you know, we we seem to have this as humans we have this arrogant attitude that we are you know possess the right to a lot of things 
Uh, I never looked at it that way as if, you know, the child, you know, at this point has no right, can't speak for for themselves. Um, I want to I want to ask, you know, and just kind of go back to pointing out, you know, the fact that surrogacy in a lot of ways when it applies to the the gay community, especially that the there is this sense of privilege. Obviously, you have to have a lot of money to be able to finance this and how that may impact or affect our community here. You know, after marriage equality, it seems like there is only a small group of gays and lesbians, bi's, maybe even trans, I, though I think that percentage is much less, that's able to uh, flourish, if you will, economically here in this country, whereas the rest of us, um, you know, and some of us are, are uh, living in poverty and actually homeless still for being LGBTQ. Would that be like, you know, platform or one of your, uh, I guess, uh, positions that you would take on why maybe commer- the commercialization of surrogacy could, could have a harmful impact on the queer community? Yes, I, I think that's a really good point. We, we are told that we have full legal um, equality now as lesbians and gay men. I've never, ever experienced in all my, my 30-odd, nearly 40 years of being an out lesbian such a huge gulf between culture um, and and the legal system. So in other words, we are not equal. You know, there is still terrible discrimination within our community. There are young lesbians and gay men uh, sleeping on the streets because they've been kicked out of their home because you can't legislate against our souls, can you? I mean, you can't legislate against the kind of attitude that will lead to somebody being bullied and vilified at school, um, you know, in the home. You can put what you can in place to protect those young people. We also have significant numbers of young LGBT people who are being prostituted in the sex trade. Um, We do these young people a great disservice, I think, because we don't look out for our youth. You know, it would appear that we have abandoned our youth in favour of wedding dresses and morning suits and wedding cakes and spending huge amounts of money on trying to attain what, let's face it, is a ridiculous state of affairs called marriage, for example. I mean, you know, as a young feminist, we used to critique marriage. And now the lesbian and gay community are running towards it saying, us, please, us, please, we want that too. You know, we want to be married. Well, we used to say as feminists, why be a wife? You know, marriage is a patriarchal institution. Let's critique it. Let's abolish it. Now we have the opposite. We're saying, no, 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 we'll join the party, but only if we can do what they're doing. And the reason why I say this, even though we're talking about surrogacy, is that our right wing leaders. So in my country, David Cameron, you know, in the States, various conservative Republican types throw us these crumbs and say, I'll tell you what, gays. Right. You've been a problem because you're just that bit kind of scuzzy. You're a bit sleazy. But if we give you the right to be like us will contain you somehow. Now, what happens to those people who are living outside of the margins? So I'm privileged, I'm a journalist, I'm white. You know, I I live amongst leftist liberal people in my country, right? I'm okay, I've got a home. But people who now don't want to get married, don't want to have their own children, are looked down upon now as the bad gays. We didn't used to have bad gays. We were all bad. Now we we have a kind of two-tier system and I don't want that for those people and and now as a lesbian I feel more stigmatized for not having children than I ever did about being a lesbian in recent times 
You know, so we need to look at that as well. Why are we increasingly wanting to reproduce what straight people have? And why can't we do it differently? Because I think we owe that to ourselves to say we're queer, we're proud, we're whatever. And we don't need to replicate what straight people have always had. Otherwise, we're just saying, oh, I wish we didn't have this quirk in our nature, but we'll pretend to be like everyone else. I have a follow up and then we'll get to John. Sorry, I, okay. I really just got to ask this. What about consent and, uh, you know, mutual understanding? And this applies to all women and also, you know, uh, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, if you've got consent, I mean, you know, when you look at something like sex work, for example, in the queer community, we have rationalized that to 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 be, especially as feminists, you know, that that has been um, something that we should accept, that you shouldn't trash a woman for deciding to do so if it meant, means, you know, basic survival for her. And here in San Francisco, pretty liberal about, you know, sex work. Um, so not to kind of make it so that it's equal, but I'm just asking what if there is consent? What about, you know, mm. people who have mutual understanding of... No, I hear what you're saying, and I would never trash a woman or a man or a transgender person um, who's in prostitution, but I would certainly trash the Johns and the pimps and the system that has created the normalization of renting an orifice for their own pleasure. And I would never trash a woman who's uh, been a surrogate, is a surrogate, ever. I would support her, I would listen to her, but I would certainly trash the brokers and the commissioning parents and the clinicians that make money from her. Now, one important thing about consent, because, of course, philosophers and politicians and feminists and whoever have been arguing about this for centuries, is that it actually isn't consent if cash is involved. If you have to pay a person to have sex with them, and they're only doing that because they're being paid. That means one person wants sex and the other one doesn't. I'm not saying that she or he would be saying, you're raping me, this is rape. I'm saying that there is no consent or you wouldn't have to pay. The woman, the surrogate, is carrying that baby because of the financial reward. I can see getting to that argument, but you could also say the person at the store does not want to sell me a Diet Coke because I yep. give them money. Well, of course, sure. they, they want, they in fact very much want to sell me a Diet Coke because of that, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think when you get into paid for sexual, you're, you're getting into power differentials that that are very troublesome. And, uh, absolutely you are, but the Diet Coke is an inanimate object. And the woman whose womb is being rented and then the baby that is produced at the other the, end. The consent then, is, yeah. Sure. But, but also, I mean, one, one thing that I really want to, to share with you here is, is about the misogyny within some of the transactions um, with gay men and surrogacy. Because let's be honest, it, this is a market mainly uh, created by and for heterosexuals. The only reason why I'm focusing on gay men is because they are now being held up as a shield Right. Gay men, it's, it's like in our name, this gay men are being used as a well, we've got to have the surrogacy business flourishing and we've got to have this open market because otherwise gay men won't be able to create their families. Not in many gay men's names, actually. I've just been to Israel where I met a man um, who founded the group Gays Against Surrogacy from a human rights point of view because they don't believe in the abuse of women. But I interviewed a gay male couple in the UK who told me that all of the that they have five surrogate children. And they're very rich and they came to California. It was all Californian surrogates and all Californian egg donors. And they told me, sorry, egg sellers. And they told me that they all of their births of their children were via cesarean section. 
it's a C-section. And when I asked why, I assumed it would be because, of course, the commissioning parents who travel from other countries sometimes can't get there in time to pick up this product, this baby that they've bought. But it was because they didn't want their baby to go through a woman's vagina because they consider that. It's it's pure misogyny, isn't it? Most gay men should would balk at that. But they also are very clear that the women whose womb they are renting have no rights once they are paid. For example, one of the surrogates involved in another transaction, a couple that I interviewed, was had the baby removed as per normal. So remember, you give birth, you've carried this child for nine months. You give birth and the child is taken away before you see it and before you hold it because the woman shouldn't bond. Now, as a woman who's never had maternal feelings and instincts and I've never had a child, um, even I can appreciate the pain of that because your hormones kick in. It's the child that you've given birth to. And when this couple couldn't actually, they were they were delayed through work, they couldn't come and pick up their product, their child, they further hired the woman who'd given birth to their baby as um, a wet nurse. So she was to take care of this baby and breastfeed this baby. Now, can you imagine the pain of that bonding process, which is partly what breastfeeding is about as well as nutrition? And then having that baby taken from her. Because as soon as cash is involved, empathy goes out of the window. That woman would have been in agony, I would imagine. Psychological agony. And I'm I'm a feminist. I'm pro-choice. I don't go with any of this kind of, you know, notion that um, every woman wants her own child. You know, but, but I do think that sentimentality removed, that is cruel. It's like a form of torture. Um. You, you mentioned much earlier in this conversation um, adoption. Um, I know a couple of gay men who have adopted, and you know, one adopted a special needs child. Actually, we interviewed him early on, uh, David Gerald. He wrote a book about it. Became a movie, The Martian Child. It and and, uh-huh. and uh, he's been very out front and 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 loud about uh, the challenges as a single gay man he had to go through to adopt a child. Um, another friend of mine. Uh, more of an informal adoption because the kid was 16 and he had been emancipated, but he basically was like living on the streets. And so he took him in and helped him kind of grow up into a, a normal young man, normal being with all the chances. Well adjusted, he could, yeah. He's out. Um, how, what role do, do you think adoption plays or the promotion of adoption could play for those folks who really do want a, a family and they're not caught up in the, it has to be my biological uh, being? Well, I mean, good for your friend and good for other men and women like him because, you know, the more we normalise and make available commercial surrogacy and normalise surrogacy per se, um, the fewer children will be adopted within our communities, but also, I think, by those who have the money and the means to to buy, to rent the womb um, of, of a poor woman. I mean, the solution for those poor women is obviously that we challenge poverty and that we challenge the feminization of poverty rather than just say, well, rent your wombs or, or, um, or sell sex. We need to make adoption as rigorous as it already is in terms of safety of the child and the suitability of those who are adopting the child. But we also need to remove some of the re- unnecessary red tape. Mm. I, I think the notion that I mean, gay men and lesbians used to be, of course, forbidden legally 
and socially and culturally from adoption. And so many would, I think, that that's left a, a sour taste in their mouths and they possibly think, to hell with this, why should I go through this process? But when children are involved and when the abuse of poor women who will be the surrogates are involved, I think we just have to kind of swallow our pride on that and think, how can we help those within our communities raise children that need to be raised and ensure that there are no ensure that we don't in this overpopulated world mm. go through a process that would just add yet another child to the mix when there are already so many that we need to take care of can i ask one last quick question and hopefully this is going to be answered quickly um what sort of response are you getting from folks because i think a lot of folks probably have not thought about you know other sides of this issue it's oh okay that's something either i'm interested in it or i'm not but they haven't really thought through these things what sort of reaction are you getting, whether it's public reaction, people writing things about it, or just the conversations you're having with people? Well, of course, we have the really, really important um, seminal uh, you know, organization, Stop Surrogacy, which is in California, and it, it's a kind of you know, international organization that's pulling together human rights activists and those that are concerned about this exploitation from around the world. And we've seen conferences and seminars and government responses. Many governments are closing their doors to surrogates. And to, to commercial, sorry, to commercial surrogacy. The answer is not to ban particular groups. You know, it, it's it's outrageous, and it is it is a, an infringement uh, to just say, well, we won't let gay men access surrogacy in our country. This should be equal, and by equal, I mean don't allow everyone surrogacy, mm. but ban all surrogacy. Mm -hmm. So the response has been great, and I think the tide is shifting. The problem is that there's a smiling, happy baby and smiling, happy commissioning parents at the end of this process. And so people often just see the happiness. They don't see what's left behind, which is the surrogate and the pain that she's had to endure. I, I think you make some valid points here on the program, uh, even if, you know, where I stand uh, as far as um, LGBTQ couples growing their families. Um, the, the, the main thing I think is that, you know, education and information and the things that you know, you bring up some valid points, like I, I said, you know, can serve uh, and, and make our community better. Um, and, you know, at the very least, if you're going to choose this route, I think doing it um, the most in the most ethical way possible is something to think about rather than just swiping the credit card and saying, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to have a baby. Um, so I really appreciate the work that you do. And I thank you for coming on the show to talk about it. As we end, I'd love to talk about where you're going to be on Friday, just so that anybody's in the Bay can join you. Well, thank you so much for having me on the program, and it's my absolute pleasure. Um, on Friday, I'm going to be at the Centre for Bi... Sorry, do you know my, my eyesight gets terrible? As I say, I'm 54. I'll do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, we have a public conversation. It's going to be at the Centre for Bioethics and Culture, uh, and that is at The Hub, 3380 Vincent Road, Pleasant Hill, here in California, um, and everybody's welcome. And it will be, I think, a great opportunity to have a proper discussion um, about what the reality is and the side that people don't get to see or hear about. And so it won't be, you know, people dictating. It will be a proper exploration of why this is such a human rights violation, but perhaps not the kind of human rights violation that they have assumed so far. Sure. sure. Thank you so much, Julie Bindle. And uh, here on the program, if you have any questions, you could definitely write them to me and I'll, I'll find a way to get, get it to Julie by heading to michellemeow.com. Don't go away. The show continues with John Zipper and I, and uh, we'll share our thoughts on this special election day.
The spotlight on success and achievement goes to LGBTQI members of the Bay Area who have demonstrated an incredible amount of success. We're very proud to announce that this month's spotlight on success and achievement is Rick Welts. Well, it's been an unbelievable stretch of time, obviously. Uh, everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. Uh, and now to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's, uh, it's a pretty wonderful time. You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys, and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life, but it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion, uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me, a real honor to, to be participating in this way, and. I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time, uh, not as far as our society has come, so I think we have a lot to celebrate. Wow, I, I don't think I have any secrets. I don't think I'm that mysterious. You know, I've got a uh, pretty simple life. I like pretty simple things. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a great partner. His name's Todd Gage. Uh, he has two wonderful children, a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. I, I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them. We drove to Lake Tahoe, and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend, you know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement, presented by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Election Day, November 8th. I'm getting all the text messages and the emails with the invites to go to so-and-so's after-party, election party. Um, it's kind of hard, though, because, you know, I don't want to... I, I guess I don't... I don't... I'm trying really hard not to show favoritism in a lot of ways. On the radio? I think we all know <laughs> where you're going. Um, no, I, I, you know, by showing up to someone's party or... Maybe, oh. you know what? Like, I guess I'm just not in the mood for a... A party. What are you doing, John? Are you, are you going we, to be out? We had not to any wild party, but a friend has invited us over. We might or might not go, depending on our schedule. The only time I've ever gone to watch an election result uh, at someone's house was in 2000. And we all know how that turned out. So, you know, I'm a little worried about <laughs> it. Has, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially here in San Francisco, you know, we've, we, uh, man, there was a whole lot to consider if you uh, work or live in San Francisco in terms of what was on the ballot. Um, so I just kind of feel like it was such a long, hard, challenging election year locally and nationally that it's okay for me to feel like I just want to crawl into a rock and silently scream hooray when Hillary Clinton becomes the next president of the United States. I think in particular tomorrow a lot of people are just going to feel relieved, mm -hmm. happy and relieved, just mm -hmm. because this election is over. Um, I don't have to wonder what Donald Trump is tweeting about today. You know, uh, We will have passed this historic milestone, and, and, and it is a milestone. Um, and but but also just the the incredible viciousness of of 
portions of this campaign, you know, that I think people were just are really kind of tired of feeling attacked and, and degraded and, and everything else. What I want to, you know, the, the, the vindication or the validation I want mm-hmm. from today is the, the, the numbers do matter to me. So I don't want to just hear that Hillary Clinton won. I want to hear that she won by a landslide. Yeah. And the reason that that's important to me, because then it would prove that, you know, the media calling it a tight race and uh, all the racist, sexist, homophobic people, maybe, maybe they were, you know, just small numbers, but the media had inflated them. Well, here's what I will be. I, I agree with you. I, here's kind of what I'll be interested in watching as uh, we get the returns tonight. Um, so, you know, both sides have basically basically been kind of expecting so the so-called uncounted votes or the, or the unpolled votes. You know, uh, on the Trump side, that there's a large, larger than has been polled group of, you know, basically angry white folks who want to vote for him. And on Hillary Clinton's side, you know, that there will be more women coming out to vote. There will be more women, re- female Republicans switching tickets to vote for her. And, of course, Hispanics. Mm-hmm. And I, I Facebook just, I don't know, the other day that uh, if Hillary Clinton wins, I think the rest of us owe women and, and Hispanics a huge uh, thank you for saving the republic because I can't say much good about the role of you know my own white middle-aged guy demo. Yeah. Um, but so far, what the, I did see something. I think it was uh, uh, on five thirty eight dot com uh, where they're saying there is no hidden Trump vote. Mm-hmm. What you're seeing, what they're polling out there, is what is has been turning out because now they have been you know polling. What is it? Forty five mm-hmm. million people have already voted before today even. Uh, by mail and in person. Mm-hmm. And there is no invisible Trump vote. There is a significant Trump vote, of course, <laughs> otherwise there wouldn't be any states that are red. Um, on the other hand, the Hispanic vote is apparently record-breaking in a number of places, such as Florida, such as Nevada, and stuff like that. And uh, I want to say this was Florida. I might be wrong in this. Someone can correct me. Uh, where they were in early mail-in voting uh, or in-person voting, uh, they were finding that 28% of the Republicans were switching tickets to vote for uh, Hillary Clinton. Wow. So if there's that kind of thing going on, I think we could see her with a very healthy electoral college, uh, uh, you know, win. Um, you know, it's not going to be FDR in, in 1932 where you've got 500 electoral votes. But uh, if she gets in there convincingly and if she gets the Senate, I think even though she won't control the House and there's going to be a lot of fighting with them, she'll be able to claim, look, the American people wanted us to get in here and do stuff, you know? And I think she's smart enough to know how to do stuff even in those circumstances. So I, I think I think after, as exhausted as we're all going to be after this on both sides, um, I think there's reason to be excited about what happens next. Sure, absolutely. Um Let's talk about a couple things, you know, that you brought up. Uh, you brought up Nevada. Yeah. Um, I was in Reno oh, that's this right. past weekend. Yes. What were you in... doing in Reno besides gambling? <laughs> I actually don't gamble, neither, but I did so. post a really interesting photo of, of my sister and my brother-in-law and I. We were so excited that we won. The lights went up on the, you know, slot machine and we we're just like, oh, my God, we won. And it turned out to be a dollar and 23 cents. Hey, that's split three ways though it's not as impressive is it right but you know we got a photo out of it and (laughs) it looked like a really classic awesome you know stock photo for a casino 
uh, featuring, you know, three happy Asians who look like they won big. Um, so you know that that, that could have, you know, be, they could be circulating somewhere as an ad, actually. Um, but I wanted to talk about Reno because mm-hmm. it was very scary. It was not interesting. It was not anything else other than me feeling completely unsafe. Um, there were a lot of people who went up from the Bay Area to go campaign in the Reno, Nevada, uh, you know, area for Hillary Clinton. Um, but for me, you know, I, I I was walking into shops. I walked into one pawn shop, you know, just randomly, and they were selling guns. Mm. Um, so there was a sign that said, Trump, vote if you want to keep your guns. And 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 uh, there were so many guys, you know, men, I should yeah. say, not, you know, just flat out say it, men who were looking at me so like they wanted to beat me up. And so, you know, at some point my family was like, I, I don't really think it's worth it. I don't think you should get beat up. I don't I don't think we should go out there and talk to people about Hillary or Donald. Um, let's just leave it. Uh, that's how scary it was. Um, first of all, thank you for actually. <laughs> well, no, I mean, thank you for going out and doing something. Yeah. So many of us are, you know pushing like buttons on on Facebook and, and retweeting on Twitter as if we're actually voting, you know, and you actually went out there and, and did something. And I've got a lot of friends, again, on Facebook uh, who have been sharing their stories, including one guy who's literally been going, you know, door to door in neighborhoods and talking to all kinds of people. And he just has to have his spiel down. Um, he's a middle-aged white guy, so he probably, you know, and this is, in, I think, in Connecticut, a bit of a different uh, experience, but in both cases, thank you, because you guys are actually doing stuff. My mother, you know, uh, working tonight uh, or all day long today. My partner on Sunday or Saturday went to the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign headquarters in San Francisco and did texting to people yeah. in other states and such. It's like everyone who's actually getting out there and doing stuff, you're, you're kind of the counterbalance mm-hmm. to all the idea of that, you know, it's all just about big money and corporations and they're all it's like, no, 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 this stuff doesn't get done. Mm-hmm. Unless people go out there, do stuff they don't want to do, put themselves in uncomfortable uh, uh, situations and such. And I mean, I'm glad Wait. nothing happened. I'm glad you stopped when, when you know, it, it was getting where you don't know what was going to happen. But um, I think you should feel proud to have actually played a part in electing the first president of the United States. Oh, thank you so much for that. That does make me feel good. We're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, John and I will finalize our thoughts on this special election day. Don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do. 
especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Election Day. Get out the vote. If you have already voted, congratulations. Um, if you didn't register in time, hopefully all the uh, all the discussions that we've been having, how ugly this election race has been, will compel you to certainly register for next time but exactly you can still play a role if you know contact your local party uh can you drive people to the polls can you you know help elderly people uh get to the polls can you uh, do a phone bank urging other people to vote you don't need to be registered to do that thank you so much for that reminder john and and i really appreciate your voice throughout this entire election year and reminding people that you know um the local elections matter too and being politically involved uh you know my last interview with tom amiano in which i should actually um play that interview because i produced it for the television show mm-hmm. um you know he he came right back at me because i i went to him and said you know as a local political uh, voice a leader um within the lgbtq community i really really like your thoughts on the election the local election he says, you know, I throw it back at you. I actually would be interested to hear from a younger voice, you know, what are the issues? What are your concerns? What are you thinking about? Um, and and hope that, that that voice travels to our elected LGBTQ representatives. And he's and I told him, you know, what, what the issues were for me and what I wanted to hear. His answer to that was you have to get involved. And so I think a lot of things are going to change for me personally as a 34-year-old. I think at 35, uh, I might be much more politically involved than I've ever wanted to be. Um, the ugly part is the scary part. What, the the accusations and name-throwing and, and that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff? Well, you know what? So you're living in San Francisco now. Our uh, U.S. representative is Nancy Pelosi, of course, the mm-hmm. former uh, Speaker of the House, currently the minority leader in the House. Um, how did she get to such a position? How did she get involved? She didn't grow up thinking I was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm heading into politics. She was asked to help out and she got involved in the local level working with the party and, you know, getting to know how the system works. Right. You know, this stuff is open and, and, and to people to, to get in there at all different levels. And that's what makes it, I mean, well, that's what, this is going to sound so, so <laughs> cliche but, or whatever, but I mean, that's what makes us a democracy and not you know, an oligarchy or something like that. Yeah. You actually can do that. And whether it's a small thing, you know, helping out with the get out the vote thing, not to say that's small, but I mean, it's not a lifelong commitment or it is something big where you actually are, maybe you're one of the few Democrats in a very Republican town or vice versa, you know, right. And you you want to be there long-term to make sure that party grows. And, and so you're, 
you're making the connections and introducing people and having, most important, those discussions with people who might not agree with you. Um, you know, that's what it's about. I mean, that and, and uh, not blowing up the entire world because <laughs> So as we're recording the show, we're doing this uh, around noontime here in California. And so by the time it airs, it'll be four o'clock here on the Pacific Western side and then seven o'clock for those on the East Coast. So I think, you know. So by the time people are, sorry to interrupt. So by the time people are done with this program. Exactly. Flip over to whatever website or or news (laughs) channel or whatever, because they're going to have. Uh, the first round of of states closing, and I think there will be some that probably will be pretty quick uh, announcements. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I just want to take some time before we we end here to read some tweets, some Facebook messages, or status updates. Um, just kind of what people's experiences have been while getting out there and voting. This one was really funny. Uh, I don't know which is crazier: the audible gasp when a Trump supporter wearing pro-Trump from head to toe showed up in line in my liberal San Francisco neighborhood or that he was sent home to change because it is illegal to wear anything candidate or issue related at the polling locations. Who knew? (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I mean, I wouldn't have been funny if it were Hillary supporter, (laughs) but that's pretty funny. You got sent home, bruh. (laughs) Good for the poll workers. They're following the law. Exactly. Thank you for people like your mom, you know, who's got to do things like this. Um. Well, let's see. Well, what what has Donald been tweeting? You know, he's he's active on Twitter. Uh, of has, course, has his staff given him back his Twitter account? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. He was fired from his own Twitter account. <laughs> um, I don't think so. It looks like it's pretty, you know, clean, clean as in just sticking to the the goals here. Vote today. Go to vote dot gop to find your polling location. We are going to make America great again. Hashtag vote Trump. <laughs> of course, today we make America great again. Oh, man. Um, he's claiming Michigan. Oh, come on. No one's calling Michigan for him except him. <laughs> uh, thanks, New Hampshire. So he's already thanking New Hampshire. Um, uh, so, uh, so far, New Hampshire, Michigan is all I'm seeing. Um, Oh, hey, here's an interesting one. Today in Florida, I pledged to stand with the people of Cuba and Venezuela in their fight against oppression. Uh, <laughs> Apropos of what? <laughs> let's let's check on Hillary uh, Hillary's uh, Twitter account. We've got a couple minutes left um, to see what uh, our great new president is saying. <laughs> I'm already claiming it. Yeah, that's right. I am. Um, I like I like all the women heading to the polls in pantsuits. Pantsuits. That's right. <laughs> Um, if, of course, the I'm with her meme, which I love. If you've already voted, jump on the phone and remind voters in key battleground states to go vote. You know, going high uh, again and uh, being positive, being people like John Zipper, who are obviously well respected. <laughs> <laughs> Today, let's show the world that love will always trump hate. Aww. Yeah. Um. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. John, remind everyone on Friday, you host your week-to-week political roundtable talk. Who do you've got this Friday? Oh, a great panel. We've got Deborah J. Saunders, uh, conservative. We've got uh, a couple liberals, Daniel Borenstein from the East Bay, and uh, Chuck Nevius, who's a longtime San Francisco Chronicle. This is his last one. 
because he's re- he's retiring in a few weeks. So we wow. had some fun with that. Make sure you tune in to John's show this Friday on the Michelle Miao Show. It airs 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network. For everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com. Happy Election Day, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow as a brand new woman.